Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast, hosted by three friends who were brought together by their heroin-addicted partners. We became each other's biggest support through some of life's toughest times. We're not licensed professionals, and nothing in this conversation is professional advice. But we hope our stories offer a glimpse into how these issues weave into our everyday lives. You're not alone. We can all get through it together. Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast. On today's episode, we are talking to um, interventionist Bruce Perkins, who is a licensed family therapist and specializes in interventions for all types of um, addictions and uh, substance abuse and alcoholism and all of that. Um, He's done over 2,000 interventions with a 95% success rate. So we're super excited to talk to him today and learn more about interventions and the process and how it all works. We hope you enjoy. Very special. We have a guest with us today, Bruce Perkins. Uh, Bruce, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? I read all of your credentials online and there's so many. So you kind of briefly tell us about what you are, what you do and all that. Well, I started off, I got into the field through my own recovery. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in the um, uh, Jamaican bush with the Rastafarians, and I remember them coming to me and saying, Mon, 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 we think you smoke too much of the gong. So, <laughs> so when you're intervened on by Rastafarians, <laughs> that's a clue that something's not quite right. right. <laughs> uh, then I thought I would, I had an older brother who was a family therapist at the Hazleton Foundation. I thought I'll go check in there to kind of recharge my batteries and be good for several more years run. I wasn't really serious about recovery. And as I got into that treatment program, I discovered two things. One, uh, substance abuse is an illness. It's a Mm -hmm. sickness. And secondly, I discovered that I had it. Yeah. (laughs) And I thought, oh, this applies to me. And I had it very clearly. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, I announced to the group about four days into treatment that I was going to become a therapist. And they said, you know, everybody has a flight to mental health in about four days and wants to save the universe. (laughs) Uh, Why don't you get a year's recovery and knock on our door? And the other part of that is I had been in a family produce business was just lifting heavy weight. I mean, 100-pound sacks of potatoes and these semis yeah. and unloading them. And I saw them, the therapist, holding up a pen. I thought, the heaviest thing they lift is a pen. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought. You're sold. <laughs> and they're sitting around waxing <laughs> philosophy about recovery and yeah. the steps and traditions. I thought, this is great. Yeah. I'm going to go back to school. They said, right, right. Knock on our door in a year. So 365 days later, I went. They said, nobody ever comes back. But he said, you're the first. They said, all right, <laughs> what school do I go to? Fortunately, I had some uh, quite a bit of college under my belt. So I went back to school, uh, St. Mary's became a licensed and marriage family therapist. But on my final internship, uh, an intervention was just emerging. Huh. Uh, uh, Vern Johnson, founder of the Johnson Institute, mm-hmm. had written a book, very first book called How to Help Someone Who Doesn't Want Help. Mm-hmm. And I went to Vern and I went to Jan Lloyd and Margaret Prosser. These were like the pioneers of the field. Mm-hmm. And asked them if I could do an internship with them. And they said, well, we'll check you out and let you know. And they said, yeah, we vetted you. You're good. And so um, for me, it's like you might, I might as well have been doing an internship with music with Paul McCartney. It's like these were like, <laughs> like the Giants. It's like I couldn't believe this wet behind the ears right. guy who's just coming out of school could 
land this internship, mm -hmm. Margaret Prosser was facilitating this intervention. We met with this woman in her mid-40s, three teenage kids, and I was just watching, and, and the, the family asked Margaret, they said, so, here's what we don't get. Anytime we've even tried to talk to him about the possibility that he might have somewhat of a little drinking problem, uh, we're lucky if the roof's still on the house because that's how angry he gets if we yeah. break the no-talk rule. And we're going to come here and talk to you two and, you know, put together these letters and go to him, and he's going to agree to get help. And Margaret said, that's exactly how it's going to go. <laughs> said, well, nothing we're doing is working. Let's give it a try. And so we put together this intervention, and at the end of it, this guy shrugs his shoulders and says, I have never, ever had it presented to me like that. Uh, I clearly have a problem. What would you like me to do? Oh, wow. And uh, Yeah, it was that, and I was like, wow, how did this turn around? I was watching this miracle happen right in front of my eyes. He says, well, I'll need to pack. And and uh, so his wife brings out and says, no, we've got it right here. Okay. <laughs> ready, to and, go. And ready to go. And Bruce and Margaret said, Bruce is going to run you up to Hazleton. And I was hooked. Yeah, I thought, I wow, this is great. And so I did follow these internships. But they said to become a really seasoned, great interventionist, you need to go work in a treatment center, carry a caseload, and get to know the other piece of it for a while. Mm -hmm. okay. And I was in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis-St. Paul, and an opening came open for a family therapist at the Middletown Center for Chemical Dependency in Muncie, Indiana. Uh, they shut down years ago. But... Uh, for many years, I was their family therapist. And at the same time, I started building a practice with intervention. I, I met uh, Dr. Tim Kelly, mm -hmm. and Tim had uh, said, you know what? There's really no interventionists in Indianapolis. I mean, this is back in late 80s. Yeah. And Tim kind of kicked the doors of Indianapolis open for me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm 2,000 interventions later. Wow. Uh, I think second most in the United States is 1,500. I'm not cutting my teeth on these things, but I still have the fat wow. passion and fire in the belly. I, I facilitated one this morning, and this, this guy just thanks his family, and they all don't go this well, hugs them and thanks them and checked him into treatment this morning. And, and they had been arguing for five years, the family with wow. him. We meet yeah. on a Friday afternoon, and on Saturday morning, he's admitted to uh, the treatment program. Wow. So would you like to know a little bit about how this works? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> how does yeah. this work? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So I'll get a phone call. I've already had two phone calls today for interventions. Okay. Well. I had one earlier this morning, right before I got pulled out here in the parking lot. Bruce, we need you. <laughs> and I'll go from here because the phone call comes in and some treatment center or some member of a 12-step group or some therapist or somebody who knows me said, call Bruce. Right. She said, oh, I've been hearing about you, Bruce. We just called. And I said, okay, well, I'm getting ready to go meet with this group and do some taping. And so I'll get back with you in an hour and I'll meet with them this afternoon. So the calls come in and what I do is uh, talk to them a little bit to see if there's, you know, enough uh, what the situation is. And then I'll say, put two or three family members, friends, partners, significant others, whoever, who really loves this person and cares about them, and let's meet for one hour. Uh, during that one hour, I'll get some real history about what's been going on, what yeah. are the dynamics of the relationships, what kind of failed attempts have you had. Mm -hmm. And I'll take, and there's certainly the using history, drug or alcohol, or a combination of the two. Mm -hmm. And I'll put together an intervention team, I'll say, who are the people who love this person, who care about them, and in a general sense know that we have a problem? And right. they'll usually share from anywhere from four to 12 people. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
And so I'll put together an intervention team. Mm -hmm. And I want an intervention team that, that really cares about this person who's not caught up in the throes of their own addiction because mm -hmm. they lose a lot of credibility if they're in the throes of alcoholism and they're trying to get somebody into treatment. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the only other thing is every once in a while I get one. I had one a while back where a mother was, I said, why are you here? She was rummaging through her purse and, and she pulls out this roach, this little piece of a joint left, and she said, I found Junior's. I found this on in, in Junior's floorboard of his car, and I talked to her a little bit. And it's like he makes. He's like a senior in high school, makes straight A's, works at Wendy's. Does I, she said? I said no, no, it doesn't. That's kind of a rarity. Mm -hmm. I said I don't think we're there yet. Well, oftentimes what happens though is when I meet with them, they go, "Well, it's it's only his fourth DUI. I don't want to rush into anything." So, oh, they, <laughs> so more oftentimes it's more of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but. Whichever city I go into, and, and the area that I cover is Columbus, Ohio, Cincinnati, Louisville, Lexington, um, um, all of Indiana, and then probably southern Chicago. Mm -hmm. That loop usually comes to me. So I'll mm -hmm. go whatever city it is. I was, you know, in down in southern Indiana, the Louisville area last night. We plan the intervention one day. Okay. So I had seven people show up at a hotel suite yesterday afternoon, my suite. That's the area that they live in. And it was a four-hour planning session. Wow. The first 30 minutes or so, I was just allowing everybody to get their feelings out. And there was everything from, thank God we're doing something before, you know, he's, he's really digressing and his life is in jeopardy. Uh, and, and to, so there's a lot of hope and promise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then there's some trepidation and anxiety. That, oh, my gosh, what if he says no? What if he says no? We'd be mad at us. Mm -hmm. and it's like, uh, so and that's part of it too. Mm -hmm. sure. We're just getting all those emotions and feelings out on the table. Yeah, makes sense. And then every once in a while, there's a naysayer, and that's okay too. That just says, "I don't think like what we're doing to them. I think this is kind of unfair. Mm -hmm. We should just let them find their own bottom." Mm -hmm. And you know, the problem with that, you know, we can wait forever. Maybe their bottom is having a wreck and hurting themselves or hurting somebody else. We try to get to it. If, the, if we do have to hit the bottom, we raise the bottom into the here and now with mm -hmm. an intervention. We bring it up right. a little bit. Uh, I will have them write a letter uh, to the to the loved one that they're concerned about, and it is my belief that interventions should build people up and give them hope. Mm -hmm. I do not do shame based put them down interventions. I'm a recovering alcoholic, marijuana addict, and on and on opiates, etc. And we feel bad enough about ourselves already. Right. Mm -hmm. There's enough shame we're carrying to begin with. So I'll start off having them write out a letter of why they love them, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. why they care about them, nice. what's special about them. You know, the mother was there this morning. She started her letter out and said, as your mother, I love you. I, I care about you. Mm -hmm. You mean the world to me. And I need to tell you why. You still own such a big piece of my heart. And she started off, I fell in love with you the day you were born. You're the cutest little guy, those chubby cheeks. She said, I was, I was a goner the minute I saw you. Right. But she, she went through and talked about his good heart and his good spirit and the joy that he'd been. And everybody did that. This yeah. really describing this wonderful, incredible person. Yeah. And um, and I, if that list gets to be too long-winded, I'll, I'll modify it just a little bit. But if it doesn't say enough, I have to add some substance to it. So, you know, a couple of months ago, I got, got this father. And, and we're, I said, I'd spend a lot of time with us. I said, now we're going to write out our affirmation letter. Mm -hmm. So they all started writing out their letters. And we needed to change the admission time. Something came up. I said, all right, I'll call admissions. You guys write out the letter. Why you, why you, you know, love her? 
It took about 40 minutes. I got all hung up. They had the schedule. Finally came back about 40 minutes later, checked in with them. I said, now we're going to go around and read the letters. Everybody did a beautiful job. We got to Dad, and the dad <laughs> said, I said, now, read your letter, you know, as to why you love your daughter. He looked at his letter and says, well, you're my daughter, and I guess that says it all. Dad, that doesn't say anything. Right. Well, I worked with this guy, and he just he was he just never shared feelings or mm-hmm. had feelings. Right. So it's like so cut off from his own emotions and from himself, right. and from the others as well. So um, he got it. We worked on it. The next morning, we walked in. And she wasn't happy. We're there. She locked her arms and said, whatever okay. you've got to share, make it quick, because I am not in the mood for this BS this morning. Mm. Mm. Uh, and he said, okay, I, I get that. He said, just give me a few minutes. He said, uh, let me tell you about one of the best days of my life. And that's the day you were born. I held you in my arms, and I completely fell in love with you. And he went on to say, and then when you were seven, you were going to your first uh, bus ride. You were so nervous. You started whistling this little tune to kind of, and it was a cute little tune. And he said, to this day, if I'm down or depressed or discouraged, I just start thinking of that Aww. little tune and whistling. And it just, and she went, Dad, where have you been my whole life? And, and, he, and, and, she, and he says, I know, sweetheart. He says, I, I no, I'm just getting to the party, I guess. Yeah. Well, she was ready to pack her bags at that point. That's came insane. And she was ready to go at that point. But I have each uh, participant in the group read their letter. You know, as your sister, I love you because I care about you. You've mm-hmm. impacted my life in this way. You have a good heart. Let me give you some examples. You have a wonderful sense of humor. I still laugh at the time when. And everybody goes through it. And the, the concerns... Um, are not judgmental or preachy. They're not mm-hmm. like you or a bad boy or a bad girl. It's more of out of our love for you and because we care about you and because we want the best for you, uh, I have to share what I'm seeing with you. And I know I've shared them before, but I want to try it again and do it in a, uh, in a way that perhaps you can hear it. Mm-hmm. And we just like this morning, they went through and described how to affect him emotionally, mentally, physically, relationship-wise, mm-hmm. financially, uh, on and on and on right. in, in the various areas. And their feelings connected with it. There's sadness and despair and anger. And, you know, it's okay to say you're angry, but as long as you say it very softly, I was really mad about the time when. Mm-hmm. Mm. And and they get it. I have the whole group go around. I've taught them what to do if there's an argument. If somebody says, well, I, I wasn't, you know, you said I was drunk at, you know, 10 in the morning, and it's not true. I wasn't drunk to at least 11. I mean, they want to split hairs with right. Every, right. everything. We know. And I told them, yeah, <laughs> you know, we alcoholics, if something, if you're 99.9% accurate, wait, yeah. this one-tenth of this 1%, we are going to stop and talk yeah. about this right now. Yeah. Yeah. And so I teach them how to not take the bait. Just yeah. to say, oh, well, forgive me if I didn't get it quite right. I'd just like to to continue here, just disarm it. Really right, yeah. right. After the group is sharing their letters, I sit down right beside the addicted person or the alcoholic. And I, it, when we started this thing, the initial person walks in and just says, you know, this morning, they said, good morning, you know, we know that I pick the person that they love and care about and trust the most, just to walk up and put their hand on their shoulder mm-hmm. and say, hey, we're just coming into the home. We came, mm-hmm. we knocked on the door and they're this morning and they let us in and 
We, the person he loved and trusted the most, a high school, I mean, a friend since childhood, like since six years old. Well, I mean, they'd been through everything together. Puts his hand on his shoulder and says, listen, my dear precious friend, I know this is a surprise to you, but we, we just need a few minutes. It's not going to take long. This is Bruce. We're all just going to sit down and share a few things. He says, well, have a seat. So at the end of all the sharing, even though I was introduced after, what, six, seven letters, Maybe they forgot my name. So I sit down right beside them and I just say, once again, my name's Bruce. Once again, my name's Bruce Perkins. And I'm a counselor that's been working with your family and your friends and loved ones. And I hope that you can recognize and look around this room and even appreciate the spirit in which this sharing's rooted in. They love you. Mm -hmm. They care about you. They want the best for you. They would go to the end of the world for you in a way they have today. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, they said some wonderful things about you. So if I have seven people who wrote down seven daring traits of peace, I'm not going to revisit all 40 of nine of them. And many of them would be overlapping. Maybe there's a couple of dozen separate ones. But I would take six or seven of my favorite affirmations. And I would say, they said this about you. And you've got a good heart and a good spirit. And you're generous and kind and gracious. And I walk through all the wonderful examples. And so I just tell them, they, they've convinced me that you're a really good person with a good heart and a lovely spirit. Underneath this illness and sickness lies a wonderful person. Mm -hmm. And I'll elaborate and share some more. But I will finally get to the point where I go, here's the rub. <laughs> They're worried. Mm -hmm. They're concerned. They're hurting, they're scared, they're frustrated, and more than anything, there's just a lot of sadness and grief because this extraordinary person that we love and care about, we're seeing less and less of. Mm -hmm. And then I will transition and say, we've got a solution for you. We have this treatment program, whichever one we picked out, and we have, well, we have to have, of course, all the finances or insurance or that mm -hmm. has to be worked out. And if they don't have any money or cash, we have to set up some kind of state-funded program. Mm -hmm. I mean, we'll, we'll get them help some way or another. And you know, I talked to them about this is not just about quitting drinking or quitting drugs. Mm -hmm. That's the small part of it. This is about you healing from the inside. Mm -hmm. And I don't even want to know what your issues are, grief, loss, sadness, conflict in relationships, whatever those issues are, they wounded you, mm -hmm. they need to be healed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and once we start that healing process and get you a, some, some support mechanisms in place and, you know, spend time in treatment, you're going to have a good chance at recovery. Mm -hmm. And when I'm through with all this, that takes quite a while to go through it. When I'm through with all that, I go one more trip around the family group. And just this morning, I started off with uh, uh, this gentleman's sister, and I just said, S you know, would you tell your brother what it would mean to you if, if he would go? And she just, from her heart, just said, I'd be so encouraged. I'd feel like I could get my brother back. And it went all the way down to the father. This father, you know, like a senior and as fragile, but a sweetheart of a guy. And he was just trembling. And he said, if, if you would go... I think I could have my first night's sleep in a long time. Aww. And he just, he got up off his chair, went over there and wrapped his arms around his dad and said, Dad, I love you. Don't worry another minute. I'll, I'll go. And I, and I know that feeling because I remember in, before there was an intervention, the word intervention was, uh, my family had a meeting with me. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking over at my mother and going, Mom, I just was never aware of how much I'd really hurt you and worried you till this morning. Mm -hmm. And I said, I, I'll, I'll go do this. Now, 
two years ago, I buried a 94-year-old mother who slept like a baby for 36 years. <laughs> yeah. I felt pretty good about that. <laughs> I bet, yeah. And this gentleman's going to be able to, you know, he gets in recovery. I'll track his recovery. Now, once they're there, I get a release of information. I track their recovery. I talk to the therapist regularly. What are they doing well? What are they doing poorly? What are the roadblocks to recovery? Because right. we have to be getting a discharge plan, as you three well know. Yeah. Uh, that's just the beginning. Right, right. Uh, treatment yes. of recovery is, sure. and 12 step support groups, right. and, you know, everything from sponsor to 12 step groups. And then in the coming days, weeks, months, throughout the year, as long as the, any family member wants to call me for any follow up questions, they may. And particularly the addicted person may call me as continued support. The follow-up is almost as important as the intervention itself. It's interesting. I didn't realize that your role went past getting them into treatment. Absolutely. That's awesome. Even when things are going well, a family will call six months later and say, Bruce, things are going great. But this this came up, and I can tell they're really anxious and scared and worried, and Mm -hmm. we don't know what to do. And I I usually get phone calls at, 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 at Christmas or New Year's Eve. Well, what are we going to do? Everybody here wants to have a drink and right. listen. The first year. If we're so fragile. <laughs> well, I tell them, you know, don't stop what you're doing. Yeah. You know, if, if, oh, um, uh, don't stop what you're doing. You know, mm-hmm. if, if uh, I'll coach them, mm-hmm. they'll have their car there. Yeah. Sure. Uh, but that used to, was unnerving to me when I first got sober and, and I'd go to, to some kind of family function. They go, hide the booze. Bruce is here. It's like, I'm not that fragile guy. Right, you, right. You can have a glass of wine. If I'm yeah. that fragile, I'll drink at the first commercial that comes right. on TV <laughs> yeah. or the first billboard for Jim Beam yeah. that I pass. Right. All of our spouses have shared that as well. Yeah. 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 But on the other hand, I don't go, you know, while you're just sitting around, pop a beer and go, oh. <laughs> that is great. Yeah. I said, have you some have consider. Yeah, have some consideration. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so, I, you know, it's this myth. I've been fighting a myth for 35 years. And the myth is this you can't help someone until they hit bottom. How many people die of this illness, go to jail, right. get in car wrecks, ruin their careers, ruin marriages? Uh, we're not waiting for that. So that's an interesting perspective because one of the things we talk about in our family group is, you know, not setting boundaries and right. not controlling their addiction or trying right. to do all of these things to prevent them from doing, like, suffering any consequences, right? So enabling them and, and protecting them from themselves, basically. Right, right. So what's that balance? At what point yeah, yeah, do you the, say... That, and that is the question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is the question because we're taught hands off, let right. them find their own way. Uh, uh, don't create a crisis. Right, is what we're told to do. Mm-hmm. And and then and people come to me and say that well, I'm in recovery. I'm in a twelve step recovery group for fam- like minded family members. Um, and I'm told my you know sponsor told me not to create a crisis. He says, well, if your loved one is driving is is out in a lake going down for the third time, mm-hmm. w- we're not going to go. Got to let go and let God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I believe that, yeah. Uh, uh, don't want to create a crisis. I know we can throw them a life preserver. We right. We can't make them hang on. Yeah. Uh, this gentleman this morning, you know, 48 years old, and I mean, his health was declining. I mean, he was, his life is in perils and jeopardy. Mm-hmm. 
And and if we had had that philosophy, let's back off and let him go. Well, you know, probably by the time 2020 is around, he's not even here. Right. So we're not creating a crisis. We're responding to a crisis. That's the distinction that okay. you're talking That's about. That's awesome. So my big question is, okay, so we all of our spouses are um, opiate addicts. Okay. Okay. And so with... And that's a huge thing happening right now. A lot of, I mean, a lot of people die from that. We've had a yeah, lot of friends. The fentanyl out there, and you don't know what you're going to get. It's terrifying, right? So, if my husband were an alcoholic, I think there would be a longer time frame where I would be like, okay, you know, the the amount of time he would have to drink for his health to be declining would right. be way longer than the amount of time he would have to be shooting up opiates in right. order to, before right. he could potentially die. So, how, like. Can you walk us through like a family, like if a family is coming to you and saying, you know, he's only been using for two weeks, but we're still concerned. Like, how do you balance the severity of the drug right. with the when to throw out the life preserver and things like yeah, that? Opiates are a different beast a yeah. little bit. Um, uh, I try not to rush into it, but if somebody's only been using two, two weeks, I would probably say that's a little quick. They just started using two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I would say... Here's a, a therapist that I think you sure. can get into for some prevention. Here's a therapist that I think it might be able to intervene in one-to-one therapy. It. it doesn't sound like in two weeks they've crossed that line over into early stage addiction. They're still in the abuse stage. Maybe some therapy could, could do this. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to be careful with that when there's been some where I've, I've done that. And they go, well, then they had a horrible car wreck while we were there in. So I'm, I'm right. cautious about saying get into a therapist. But... It sounds like if it's only been a couple of weeks or so, you, we may want to just watch it for just a little bit, get them in therapy and go from there. Got it. Yeah. But, you know, I'm intervening, and we're intervening on people, you know, 14, 15, 16 years, barely, you know, you can look at it, and it's just in the infancy stage yeah. of addiction. And yet, we'll get them into an adolescent program right. of some kind if necessary. And if they haven't crossed that line, sometimes particularly with adolescents, that line is... Where is that gray line of just an adolescent abusing and when do they step mm-hmm. over into early stage mm-hmm. substance abuse? That can be a little bit tricky. Uh, but I'd rather err on the side of let's get them an evaluation right. and intervene and get them evaluation and see what, see what the program suggests. Yeah. yeah. I think for me, um, the reason I said such a short time frame is because mm-hmm. so my husband was in active use for a lot years and then got into treatment. And then after treatment, it seems like every relapse progresses more quickly yes. and the consequences become more severe. So right. are a lot of your clients first time treatment people or are they people that maybe have had exposure to treatment and then maybe relapse for a lo- prolonged period of time and need to get back in? Uh, you know, I would say a slight majority of maybe 60, 40, 60 percent of them have never been to treatment. Maybe 40 percent have been to. Yeah. I mean, they'll call and say, well, they've been to four treatments. Why is this one any differently? Yeah. Uh, any different? I said, well, then I have to get with them. Say, do we have a sober house? You know, some yeah. kind of, there's, that's why the follow up care is so important is that mm-hmm. I have to guide them and say, Here's the next piece that needs to be in place, and here's the next place that needs to be in, in place. Yeah, yeah. But but you're right with the opiate crises. Uh, there's a sense of immediacy yeah. there. I mean, mm-hmm. We need to move fairly quickly. There is as a family. I mean, I know when my husband has relapsed in the past, he's been he would relapse. I mean, he's overdosed the, that day, right. the very first use, and yeah. so and that's just terrifying, you know, as because yeah. you just don't know how fast that will progress. Or you know, we've had friends pass away that relapsed one time and you know that's it that's all you get yeah and that's why i say with its opiates it's like if they've relapsed 
and they're not going, mm-hmm. uh, and then it's intervention time. Okay, I see. Uh, there's a sense of immediacy. That's where you just don't sit down and say, well, I hope they kind of right. find their way. We're talking opiates here. Move quickly. Right. Because it just takes one, as you say, one yeah. time, and they're out of here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's kind terrifying. of where I am now. Like, for a while, like, when Jake relapsed, I was set up some boundaries of you need to be out of the house. Like, we've gone through this a few times now. You, He knows the tools that he has. Um but it's just kind of, it's continued and he's not getting help. And so I'm kind of at the point where I'm like, oh, it, I feel like every day is closer to him potentially dying. Yeah. I mean, he's overdosed and has been he, to jail. He overdosed. So. Mm-hmm. And that would might be a case to where his family, if you can piece together, cobble together two or three of his family and maybe a couple of yours and maybe a friend or two. Uh, you, you, you put together an intervention team and, and try that approach. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to ask, how do you, so how do you find that people go about, like, let's say there's one person in the addict's life who's like, I feel like it is time for an intervention. Like, we cannot keep waiting. Like, how would you suggest getting other people on board? I, I would meet, if there was one person who was concerned, I would I would suggest to that person, get one, at least one or two people. Mm-hmm. That, that love him and care about him are now committed to turning his life around and let's meet for a one-hour session without him, of course. Right. Mm-hmm. And in that one-hour session, I'll get the history and background, but then I'm going to go through kind of the family tree and friends and relatives and who cares and who, and if we can even put together three or four people, we mm-hmm. can do an intervention. So, you know, in that session, we'll figure out who potentially could be on this team. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, I get somebody that says, I'm it. Yeah. I had one mother a, a while back that came to me and she says, father's written him off, uh, brother's family, not not one person will talk to him. And he was from Minneapolis and the mother and I flew up and talked to him and got him into treatment. We just kind of did, the, but that's not the textbook intervention. It's the power of the group. Right. So if one person says, you know, I love you and tells you seven reasons why, very specific, measurable, lovely summary of your attributes. You can live off that for a week. If you got seven people telling you that, it's not seven that are more seven times more powerful than one that love potentiates. It's yeah. seven times seven, uh, and it's the same with the concern. Uh, uh, we we addicts and alcoholics just have multiple layers of defense mechanisms. We rationalize, we justify, we intellectualize, and then if you tell us the truth, we get mad that you're picking on us and play the victim. So right. you know, <laughs> yeah. help rejecting complainers. You can't get through to us. So we can break that kind of entrenched denial system with the power of the group. Yeah, it's the power of the group in love, mind you. Not a shame-based intervention, but kind, gracious, mm-hmm. dignified, respectful, uh, edifying, and really kind of bring them up that we, we're the ones who love you, and here's why. And yet, we need to take a look at this yeah. as, a, yeah. as a group, as a family. Yeah. Do you find that most of the addicts that you're working with are either people who feel like they don't have a problem or... They recognize they do have a problem, but they're just unwilling to go into treatment at that time. And it's does bo- it make it, a it's, difference? It's, bo- it's both. Okay. Um, I would tell you that I have a problem. Mm-hmm. Yes, Bruce, I know I have a, a, a drug and alcohol problem. But I thought this, because I'm active in, in um, uh, 12-step community. We won't say the name for mm-hmm. sure. of the anonymity, but a, a, a group of like-minded people in recovery. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, 
And we have a text, and in this text there's a quote that says, it is the dream of every abnormal drinker to some, or drug user in the, the other uh, partner recovery group, mm -hmm. it is the dream of every abnormal uh, alcohol abuser and substance abuser to somehow, some way moderate our usage. Mm -hmm. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it to the gates of insanity or death. I've got a very serious problem. I have to moderate this thing. Right. <laughs> so missing the whole point. Yeah. So, um, yep. so, yes, so yes, they recognize it, but on their terms. Right. And so, but we really, what we really believe is if you just get off our backs, you know, we'd like to keep using. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, 100%. No, exactly and and because husband. it's the proverbial elephant in the living room. Mm -hmm. We don't believe, we alcoholics, we don't believe the uh, drug users. We don't believe the elephant's the problem. The problem is you talking about it. See, if you don't talk about it, we don't have a problem. So in effect, yes. that's the insanity of the illness. Boy, right. we, we're genius. Is it flipping that? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. We've lived that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Talking to the choir yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we have people listening from all over the U.S. Right. Um, so how would someone find an interventionist? Like I'm sure not all are the same. Yeah, you would. They're they're not. I, I'd call around. You know, call treatment centers. Mm -hmm. uh, talk to friends. But treatment centers are a really good source. Whatever part of the country they're in, mm -hmm. if they can call. And if you call, you know, if you're in. Connecticut, and you call four treatment centers, and all four of them said call the same guy. Judy so and so. Yeah. You kind of have an idea that yeah. Judy's the one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you're in Florida and it's you know you know Southern Florida, they'll probably give you two or three. And mm -hmm. but if you keep calling, one name's probably going to pop up more than the others. And you kind of got a point of reference, saying everybody keeps saying this name, so maybe that's the name we need to call. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that makes sense. What mm -hmm. would you look for? In, what would someone look for in an interventionist? Uh, I would think that if they talk to them, that I would I would encourage them to find an interventionist who is not a shame-based intervention. There's still those who, it just has, it's it's subtle, but it has a slight feel of shame to it. Mm -hmm. uh, a, light, a slight feel of, look what you've done here. Right. And uh, it should be kind and gracious. And the whole spirit of it should be in love. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's okay to say you're angry or talk about what happened, but it's the whole spirit. Make sure that that's kind of their belief system. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that you have a really high success rate. I've listened to another podcast that you were on. Uh-huh. Uh, so that, as a family member, like if when your person is in the throes of addiction, like it just seems like you're that golden ticket. <laughs> like if we get to talk to an interventionist, that everything is going to be solved. You know, I know you said the follow-up care is very important. So is that, do you know how many people stay in recovery or relapse? It's, Does that it, matter? It, it depends. And you're right that, that, that uh, you know, people will, will, I'll get a phone call and they'll say, oh, it's, you, you picked up the phone, Bruce. It's like, and then I'll meet with them. They go, well, we're home free. We've got Bruce. And it's like, and it's just the golden road to happiness. We'll mm -hmm. just <laughs> skip the happy road of destiny here <laughs> at this point. Uh -huh. uh, it's like, no, no. You know, slow down just a little bit. Yes, I'll give you a great intervention, and you will do it with respect and kindness and dignity. But, you know, um, better than 90% say yes the day of the intervention. So you got got, you know, 7 or 8% that, that say no. Mm -hmm. Of those 7 or 8%, a little better than half of those will go within 30 days. Why? Oh, okay. Why? Because in that intervention, I did not alienate the person we're talking to. 
I built the bridge with them. Mm-hmm. So uh, rather than run the intervention in the ground, if I know it's a no, I back off. I thank them for listening. Mm-hmm. I ask for their cell phone. Can we stay in touch? Awesome. I'll have coffee with them. I'll meet with them. Uh, and I will continue to work as a, a, a family group. And a little better than half of the 7% who says no gets help within 30 days. Wow. And, and no matter what the substance abuse, um, uh, the addict or alcoholic does, uh, the family members and significant others and partners start, as you three well know, their own recovery track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. And by that, then we change the whole dynamics of the family system. There's a shift in how to respond to it. Right. And rather than have behaviors that are counterproductive, they're having behaviors that we were talking to before we, we started this statement about how important it is to mm-hmm. to stay in your own lane mm-hmm. and and and, uh, and yet, you know, not enable or caretake. Mm-hmm. So they begin their own healing process, which mm-hmm. is a thing of beauty. I believe the whole system should heal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. You sure. mentioned um, when you notice that someone is being resistant, you'll start to back off. What are... So what are the red flags that you would maybe start seeing in the intervention? That Are there any signs where you're like, oh, this person's going to say no? Well, if they just say, you know, Bruce, I'm not ready for this. I need some time to think about it. And then I don't give up easily. Well, tell me what that is. It's like, well, who in the world would water the plants if I wasn't here? So we can get past that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And then the dog will start. No, we'll get, we'll get puppy paint. Yeah. Sometimes they're pretty flimsy right. reasons. Right. And I yeah. can get the, but if I get to the point where it goes... Let me be clear. This isn't happening today. I'm going, okay, thank you for hearing us out. Mm -hmm. That was very gracious. We started a line of dialogue. I'm encouraged that you were willing to at least go through this. Mm -hmm. Um, Next week, can we meet or talk? And I just keep them in the loop here. Uh, but it's an intuitive thing. There's okay. not. I can't put it in a book and go. Here's where you right. say no. Okay. Uh, it's it's like I'm I'm kind of cutting my teeth on my first 200 interventions, mm-hmm. and you do, it's just something you intuitively have to learn right. as you go through this. But I intuitively know this is a no for today. This is one of the few that says no. But I got to back off. Get the family into their 12-step support group. Mm-hmm. Work with them and see if we can already start to shift the dynamics of the family. And then oftentimes that alone, they'll come around. Also, there's consequences. I had an opiate addict. I had an opiate addict in in, um, uh, Bloomington. We did the intervention, and and, uh, he said, you know, um, I'm not very happy about this. The answer is no, and I won't be going. And so all of you can just hike it on back to Indianapolis. We're done talking. And I said, we accept your decision. You are the CEO of your life, and mm-hmm. you get to make the call. He said, well, that's the first thing you've said that really makes sense. I said, all right. <laughs> oh, my God. I said, now, your parents are the CEOs of their life. And I said, Mom and Dad, we're accepting, you know, we're, we're accepting his decision to not go today. That's not going to happen today. And they just fair, usually they're all worked up. Can't you see what you're doing to all of us? Yeah, right. They just very calmly just said, thank you for helping us out. I'm listening to this. This was a start, and we really thank you for that. And you are the CEO of your life, and we accept that. Now, as CEO of our lives, we've made some decision. Your tuition's due here next week. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be paid because mm-hmm. your grades are terrible. Um, yeah. The lease money is due, so you're going to have to figure that out. And we're we're at risk with 
with uh, the car. We're taking the car back. That's my car. You're not taking it. No, no, it, it, it's in our name. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. we're going to drive yeah. the car off here, and, yeah. and you can figure out your rent. And so he stood up and he says, well, I'll go, but all she had to do is ask. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, so did you work with the family ahead of time to come up with those Oh, yes. I spent the day before. Okay. Whatever city I'm going into, we meet the day before, and we have a good four-hour planning session. Also, I've had many phone calls with them before there's even the planning session. Yeah. So I've already, many of them, I've already got letters, and we're up to speed and going. So, yes, the day okay. before, I have to pull everybody in, and this is what you do, and this is what you don't do, and follow my lead. Right. Keep your voices calm and low-keyed. Mm-hmm. State your truth, and and, and and if there's consequences, there's and if sometimes there are no consequences. Yeah, you know, uh, but if there are, we're gonna we're gonna play them out, and so that can turn things around very quickly. It's not meant to be punitive. Yeah, it, it's it's the message. Um, there's a wonderful book called Love First, mm-hmm. Jeff and Deborah J, and it's on intervention, and and they have a statement in there that says the overriding message is. We will support your recovery. We will no longer support your sickness. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. that's what we're saying. We can accept your decision. Now you need to know that the support for your your sickness and illness is not there anymore. Right. That can turn things down fairly quickly. Yeah, and that's kind of the the kind of the thought that we've learned through the family meeting um, that we've got, that we go to is we call them boundaries. But right. basically, if you use here then you have to go live at a halfway house or whatever. But basically, I'm not engaging in your active use life. I will engage in your recovery life. So That's it. So yeah. you, got it. you know this. Yeah. You know this. Yeah. You know this. Yeah. How would you um, – so there's – I feel like sometimes there's this idea that if a person doesn't, like, just willingly go into recovery on their own, like, that it's not their idea – that it's they're not going to be I completely, as successful. I, I completely disagree with that. When I used to work um, uh, at a treatment center, twenty-eight bed inpatient program in mm-hmm. Muncie, mm-hmm. and somebody'd come in, I go, "Why are you here?" They said, "Well, I got up this morning and had a spiritual epiphany straight from the heavens." <laughs> right. I have a and, problem. And, <laughs> and, and and I just got down and I just you know said my prayers and knew that this was the right thing to do. Yeah. And I said, "Well, that's a really great story. Thank you." <laughs> <laughs> and the next one would come in. I go, why are you here? He says, I hate the policeman who gave me the DUI. I hate the judge that says I have to come to this treatment center. I hate this treatment center. And Bruce, I think I hate you most of all mm-hmm. because you're the face of the treatment center. And I said, well, I appreciate that because I don't have to guess where you stand. You're somebody who lets, you know, let us know where you stand. Mm-hmm. Um a week later, Mr. Spiritual Epiphany left against medical advice. His spouse calls and said he got another DUI. Do I bail him out? This was the Spiritual Epiphany guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy that hated everybody at a week says, I'm still not buying into this, but I've, I've seen some miracles here. And I'll tell you what, Bruce, you, you guys have at least earned my respect. Now, this was this is way back in the mm-hmm. day. This is like early 90s that this, this happened. And... Um, at two weeks, he said, I've seen so many miracles that I got up this morning and said, why can't I become one of them? Wow. Now, this is a friend of mine 28 years later that we're still in a 12-step group together and become great friends. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. Afterwards. So I'm not that, because they're so, they're so impaired with their thinking. I don't really trust right. spiritual epiphanies. I mean, I, you know, sometimes they're real, but more often than I'm not that concerned when somebody comes in, let's get them cleaned up. 
Yeah. Get them into some individual, get them into some group, get a little bit of education going. Kind of like when I went to Hazleton, it's like, <laughs> I'll rest my batteries and be out of here in a heartbeat. Right. Mm-hmm. And a week later, it's like, whoa, 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 this is an illness, and I've got it. May stick around here. I'm seeing some things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're, when you're in the throes of addiction like that, and you're the only thing you're thinking about is, I want to use, how am I going to use, okay, I'm going to use... Where is there space in the mind to be like, oh, let me think about going into recovery, recovery now? Right, just, yeah. You're just surviving day to day. surviving, yeah. so there's not yeah. a lot of space for other Most things. of us don't know how miserable we are till we get into recovery. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, exactly. like I'm kind of cool enough. I mean, I'm kind of run down here and some things aren't working. And, yeah. you know, I've lost a couple of great relationships with women because of it. But other than all that, I'm doing okay. <laughs> right, right. Um, and then I got into, once I got in there and kind of got cleaned up and I was in group therapy, it's like, wait a minute, I have suffered far more than I thought and the damage yeah. done to the, my loved ones is more significant than I thought. Uh, and so we mm-hmm. start to see it sometimes if we can just get in a continuum of recovery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Weird. We've covered a lot. That was a lot. a lot of ground here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh, Bruce. That was wonderful. I mean, yeah. I guess maybe kind of final thoughts, like anything from a family perspective, like how can yeah. we help or how, how, you know, do you feel family plays a big role in in this whole recovery process for a loved one or getting them into intervention and treatment, that kind of thing? I do. I believe family members have, and significant others, partners, you know, friends, uh, have to be proactive. And by proactive, I mean some, you have to do your, you have to educate yourselves about Mm -hmm. this illness and educate yourselves about the process of intervention, how it works, and at least meet with somebody and say, you know, if you meet with an interventionist, that doesn't necessarily mean we're doing an intervention, but it means Let's sit down and talk about what it would look like and see the possibilities and tell us how this works and what each person's role on it. We'd like to at least consider it. So it's about educating. It's about understanding the illness and understanding the options you have to how to respond to someone suffering from this illness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. I think that's been the key for all of us is just knowing, understanding addiction, having our own support group, doing right. our own recovery, understanding that we've played a, some piece, some role in this chaos. Right. And then, like you said, when the the addict says, okay, I'll go to treatment, then adjusting the dynamics Mm because it changes, right? Like this person becomes a different person because they're well, right? And so figuring out how to balance all of that has been something we've learned through our own recovery. And and as far as they're well. Well, okay, yeah. (laughs) As far as they're well. I mean, I can remember... um, I'd been in recovery a long time, and, and uh, my daughter, who was 13 at the time, she'd look at me and go, cock her head sideways, say, Dad, <laughs> do you need a meeting? She could see the, <laughs> yeah. some isms popping up. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. never quit, do I didn't go do it. I said, she says it, I know I do. <laughs> right. uh, so there's still, in, in any yeah. relationship, there's a lot of work to be sorted yeah. out. So it's we're not, totally it's right. not the golden road to, to joy and happiness, but Agree. it sure helps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's the yeah. first step. More yeah. well than when they're using. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's what I mean. you got to give us that. We're better than when we were using. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. We right. still may be difficult and challenging, but it's a step up somewhat. Yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. 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 So. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you again so welcome. much for coming. I appreciate it. Talking yeah. with and us. And the three of you, thank you for carrying the message of hope to family members and all that you're doing. I think it's a great thing you're doing. Appreciate thank it. you. Oh, yeah. one last thing. If people are trying, if they're in this area that you work, if they're trying to find you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think go to BrucePerkins.com. It's okay. still all just one word, B-R-U-C-E-P-E-R-K-I-N-S.com. 
and uh, we'll link it or, to yeah. or they you we'll know yeah they can catch me right there awesome, awesome. well thank you, thank you. You're good most luck welcome. this afternoon <laughs> thank you so yeah. much and, and thank you for all the great work the three of you doing and if there's anything I can do to support your efforts in the future you do not hesitate to call me okay? thank you so much we appreciate right. it Thanks for tuning in to Boy Problems Podcast. If you enjoyed today's discussion, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this episode. Find us on social media, and if you have questions or ideas for topics, email us at hello at boyproblemspod.com.